Right, well, welcome to the show. Um, today I'm joined by a very special guest. I'm actually in his home city in a place called Florianopolis. And we're currently in a, a very lovely restaurant sitting together. So I'd like to introduce a special guest today. His name is Todd Lewis. I'm sure all of you who are listening into this will be well aware of who Mr. Lewis is. Todd? Hello. How Thanks are you doing for today? having me. Or in this case, are having you. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we start off with, you know, why don't we talk a little bit about your background? And what, what do you, are you, are you 100% into Epic Cash? You, you mentioned you had technology businesses as well. Yeah, so I, I'm a technologist. I've been doing technology since uh, 1994. Um, uh, started off in um, internet security and, uh, and a lot of encryption work actually back in the 1990s. So okay. um, I'm part of the generation where cryptography became, uh, started to become mainstream uh, when um, Bruce Schneier's Applied Cryptography came out in uh, 1994 and 1995. Um, this was back in the era when the U.S. government was still prosecuting people or threatening to prosecute them for divulging uh, cryptography algorithms and right, like, okay. you weren't allowed to export copies of the software and all of this stuff. Um, and the internet really blew that open uh, because they, they started to realize they were going to run into real First Amendment issues in the U.S. with trying to stop people from exchanging ideas about how <laughs> mathematics works. Uh, so, um, and then Schneier's book came out and, and an entire generation of us had access to this previously very locked up and mysterious technology. So, of course, you know, as young kids who were given this forbidden fruit, we were all fascinated <laughs> with it. And um, uh, I, um, uh, uh, cryptography actually played an important role early in my career because I, um, uh, before SSH, um, before, uh, actually before RSA, before the patents expired on RSA, so before we had access to public key cryptography, sure. um, uh, there, we still had uh, secure means to access remote systems through uh, Kerberos, which was a system for, that MIT built. Um, a very beautiful system. It, it, today it has weak technology, but Kerberos is a beautiful, beautiful system. And I actually set this up at university and then um, when I went to my first company, I set it up, and then we upgraded from Kerberos 4 to Kerberos 5. Um, and I was like on the news groups, answering questions, whatnot, because I was one of the first people to run Kerberos 5. This was, How old this, were you at this point, if you don't I was, mind me asking? I was 21. All right, okay. All right. Um, and, uh, and got a call out of the blue trying to recruit me to Wall Street. Because <laughs> um, Wall Street, uh, Morgan Stanley, as I recall, was using Kerberos. Um, uh, and I got a raise out of that and stayed at my company in Atlanta. <laughs> nice. But, um, but I kept the, the uh, contact info for the recruiter who had contacted me. And five years later when I was getting married, my wife told me, she's like, I'll, I'll marry you, but you need to go get a job. <laughs> <laughs> so I called the recruiter back up and, um, and then went to Wall Street, uh, did banking for over a decade in New York and Singapore. Um, and then uh, after I had quite enough of that, <laughs> um, uh, wanted to uh, wanted to work at a company where I could do technology and, and do the thing I love to do. And mm -hmm. so uh, came to Brazil, founded uh, Brick Abode. Um, we've been doing technology projects for clients for the past seven years, mm -hmm. and you know started off with just uh, just two of us and today we're over 40 engineers and wow so you're growing really well yeah well it's you know it's up and down but mostly up yeah, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
uh, and so yeah, I um, I really have a pretty pretty nice life down here. You know, living living in this beautiful place, doing doing great pro- doing the kind of work that I love to do. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, and I'm I'm very happy that a big chunk of that is uh, is Epic Cash, which is something that I I believe a lot in, um, and um, uh, and have been very interested in privacy and in using technology to create personal autonomy for a long time. Uh, and so I'm I'm very happy to have the chance through Epic Cash to try to try to help that project along. Sure. Well, obviously, when we first met about ten minutes ago. Mm. We were talking about the amazing place that you live in. Yeah. How, how incredible it is, the, the number of beaches. That, I mean, the place we're in right now is, is very nice. Like, so I think we touched upon it, but for the audience, why don't you tell us why you decided to move here and how you did it? Um, I, I knew that I wanted to start a technology company, right? Because I, I know what kind of work I enjoy doing, and I wanted to have the freedom to be able to pursue it and, and do it the right way. Mm-hmm. And be able to do it for a long time. Um, one, of, one of the difficult parts of my career is every time I want, you know, every time I wanted to advance, I needed to move companies to go find a new role or, or sure. move to a new industry or whatnot. And that that gets kind of old after a while. <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I'd lived in five different cities and worked for a bunch of different companies and traveled all around the world. And what I really wanted to do was was start a company that that I could be in for a long time. Um, and so when I looked at, at places to do that in, Brazil seemed to really, and it turned out that this was true, is, is a really great place. Um, there's a lot of talent in Brazil, a lot of really great talent in Brazil. And uh, Brazil can be a difficult place to do business. Um, it's really easy to, to vacation in Brazil and see all the beautiful parts. <laughs> yep, I can, and, I can tell you that, yeah. And, and Brazil certainly has not beautiful parts as well, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, um, Hopefully, I don't see that. Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's it's like anywhere. You know, every every place has its pluses and its minuses, and, and Brazil's not perfect, but but it's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, and we can um, we can find great engineers here, and my family has a really nice life here. Sure. And um, you know, maybe you know, I certainly don't make as much money as I used to make living in a shoebox in New York City, but um. But I don't have to live in a shoebox in New York City, so <laughs> so there's that. And then as to how I did it, I um uh, I bought an airplane ticket to Brazil. I flew to Brazil. <laughs> I I came to this hotel actually. Uh, we spent a month here when uh, when we landed. Oh, looking plane. for places. Yeah, just oh, okay. like getting a feel for the place. And yeah, whatnot. yeah. And um, we rented the house, put the kids in school, and. Um, and started uh, starting meeting people around the island and just trying to get a feel for the technology ecosystem here. Met more people, started to find some customers, and we were on our way. So you don't miss Wall Street, no, compared to this? No. (laughs) I can understand why. So I know we've heard a little bit of a story, I think, in terms of the Epic Cash community on the beginning of Epic Cash, how it all started. But I would love to dive deeper into that so my understanding of the story so far is that max came to you with concepts yeah and and basically you you worked on them tweaked a few pieces and then epic cash was born yeah max original design uh was really pretty unchanged so um uh and uh we we did we did spend a lot of time talking through it and talking through the details Mm -hmm. right so 
there, there was a lot of back and forth on that. And then just a lot of engineering work on our side of, okay, is this actually possible? Sure. So for example, multi-factor proof of work was something where we had to actually spend a long time convincing ourselves that it really was safe. Because the conventional wisdom in the industry is that it's not safe. Sure. And, um, but I knew right from the beginning that um, the arguments I saw against its safety smelled very fishy to me. Uh, they, they, were, they were not convincing because they were all of this very particular kind of argument that, um, that just smells bad. And that is the way that you would build multi-factor proof of work is X and X has these problems and therefore you can't do multi-factor proof of work. It's like, wait a second, you just expressed one particular set of choices on how you might build this and then you destroyed the straw man that you built. That's not a proof that multi-factor proof of work is impossible. That's proof that your shitty design was bad. <laughs> and those aren't the same thing. Right. Right? So, um, so from the very beginning, the arguments against it smelled bad. Um, but, but you don't, you know, when, when a lot of people believe something, you don't want to just assume that you're smarter than they are. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you want to, you especially received received wisdom and conventional wisdom, you want to give it some respect and really, really take it seriously. Sure. So it, it took us a long time to really drill down and analyze multi-factor proof of work and convince ourselves that it was going to be safe. Oh, and when did you start to, when, when did that all start to happen? When did you start to research multi-factor proof of work? Was that a year I mean, it was before on the, the launch? It was on the phone with Max the day <laughs> he mentioned it to me, right? Wow, okay, okay. <laughs> So a uh, uh, great thing about Max is he talks a lot. So it's not that hard to Google, you know, while he's... <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Max. <laughs> no, but um, no, we started that day and, and it, took a, it took a few months of work before I was really convinced that, that we were going to be able to do it. Um, and then the, um, uh, the emission curve, the other, the other tweaks that we did um, were... Um, they were a lot of work, but none of them was really like theoretically challenging or anything. It was just a lot of work. The, the final thing we did with the initial launch was we added a fair bit of automated testing, mm-hmm. um, which, which Grin at that time didn't have a lot of. And uh, to this day, I think they would benefit from taking our testing back, actually. Um, and I, I, I wish they would, because it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's free. There's no reason for them not to. Yeah. Um, and we've we've done some interesting work this past year extending that testing. I'm hoping that's going to show up in the newsletter soon. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, it was. Um, uh, we 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 spent a few months getting it working. We started testing it, and, and uh, uh, the next month we launched, and that was that. And the rest is history. Yeah. So far. So. Before we get into you know the mimble wimble and going deeper into the the polyphasic, I know you call it multi-factor. You call Whatever. It, okay. Yeah. So the, the multi-factor Both. proof of work, polyphasic, whichever you want to call it. I would actually love to talk to you initially about CBDs to set us up with CBDCs to set us up with Epic Cash, the importance of it, why it exists, etc. So. Sure. The reason I want to bring this up is that, I mean, you may have seen this in the news recently, but the Fed have recently announced a FedNow payment system, if you've seen that in the last two weeks or so, yeah, where yeah. it's going to release in maybe May to July 2023. This isn't the CBDC part, but it's a, a payment system where 
you can probably get rid of the third parties, i.e. the banks, and you can start making payments between consumers and businesses and and, and their system, basically. So, uh-huh. what, where do you, where do you skept- think this is... I'm, I'm skeptical you're going to be able to pull the banks out of the middle of the payment. Yeah, yeah. that might be easier said yeah. than done, yeah. But, but what are your... Do you think this is step one in the CBDC plan? What, what is the CBDC plan? Well, it's to, if you had to ask me, it would be... Uh, well, no, you just, I mean, you just asked me a question that presumed that there was one that we all understood. So let's just be clear what we're talking about, right? So my understanding is that within the next five years, mm-hmm. there's a long-term plan for us to get rid of cash and start using their central bank digital currency so they can financially Which they've wanted us. to do for a long time. Okay, so this is nothing new. I've been talking about going cashless for almost two decades now. Okay. Yeah. So do you think this has got some merit? Or do you think it's going to be a lot longer than five merit? years? Yeah, so... Merit in what sense? Do I think in... it's a good idea? For no, the... no, 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 no. Definitely not. <laughs> Is in you've been, you've just said that it's it's been talked about for two decades. Yeah. Has this plan got some substance behind it? Do you think in five years we actually might see something? I, I mean, we've seen a lot. That was, that, is it Sweden that went cashless? One of the Nordic countries went cashless. Predictions are hard to make, especially about the future. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's that's number one. Number two, I really don't give a shit. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the, you know, the control freaks are going to control freak. Mm-hmm. And they're going to get away with as much as they can get away with. And they've got... As much money as they spend on all these plans, I swear, you would think they had a license to print the stuff. <laughs> I love that joke. <laughs> um, uh, and they'll keep pushing, and they've been pushing for decades, and they'll keep pushing. And, True. And... And what's the question? Do I think they're going to succeed? Man, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather make predictions about sports than about this crap. At least sports is entertaining. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you sure you don't like CBDCs, no? Are you 100% on that? Just, well, just in case your opinion wasn't clear enough. I, I don't, why are CBDCs important? I think it was more a case of we've got CBDCs potentially coming. We've got this fantastic We've alternative. We've arguably had CBDCs since the 1970s. Narrating for the audience here, our desserts have arrived. So there's a temporary interrup- interruption. Wait till we go. And it looks very good, by the way. It does. Very, very Sad very good. you guys aren't here. So, so, Todd's so looks much. better, but mine still looks very good. <laughs> Yours does look good. <laughs> okay, so... See, you know, dig- the, the U.S. dollar has been digitized since the 1970s. This is very true. Right? Yeah. You know, yeah. so all CBDCs are doing is pushing the digitization out to the edge. Yeah. You know, and, and with, you know, how different is that really from credit cards? There's no physical cash in the system. It's all just ledger entries. All CBDCs do is put a pretend blockchain patina on it. <laughs> But the power dynamics are all still the same, and the goals are still the same. So everyone, you know, and, and I, I do a little rubbernecking at this stuff too. Yeah. You know, just for giggles. 
but but what does it matter? What is what is it that we need to know about their plans? What is it that we're going to be surprised by with any of that stuff? No, these are good questions. Yeah, absolutely. They're seeking control, seeking financial surveillance. Any right, of this yeah. new? No, you're, no, you're, is you're anything right. changing? Right? No, it's a fair point. Well, obviously that leads us into the, and I know you feel so strongly about this, the, the genius of the, the Mimblewimble protocol. Yeah. So, spill the beans. What, why do you love it so much? I know this could be a very long-answered question. That's absolutely fine, but to go for it. Why I love it is pretty simple. Um, uh, this is the... Um, the one thing that was impossible to get right in 2010 mm-hmm. was in 2010 uh, uh, Nakamoto came up with Nakamoto Consensus and yeah it's really good. oh wow yeah more for the audience it's a real shame you guys aren't here <laughs> <laughs> we're just digging into our puddings and it's yeah. incredible oh, this is very good um, uh, proof of work distributed ledgers distributed consensus digital currencies it was all great but the one problem that we had just simply had not created a solution to was the fact that uh, bitcoin and bitcoin style cryptocurrencies are a currency system the likes of which no human being has ever in human history chosen to participate in of their own free will (laughs) which is doing your transactions in public right Mm-hmm. And we have uh, 4,000 years of recorded history on this, <laughs> you know, uh, dating back to the clay tablets in Mesopotamia and, and whatnot. Um, and, and if you've never read them, you should go back and read the translations because they are, they're filled with just Karen moments, you know, <laughs> of like, dear asshole, I received your shipment of copper. I don't know what the fuck you think you're doing here, but there's no way you're going to get away with this. We demand that you replace it with the good stuff or else we're going to, you know, just could be commercial letters today. This stuff has not changed in a long time, but we, we know through long stretches of human history, how humans want to do business. And the way they want to do business is they wish to keep certain details of their business private. And the reason for that is if you dump all your information in public, other people can take advantage of you. (laughs) It's bad business. Some things you need to keep private. Sure. Uh, And so no one's ever chosen to do work that way, which means that Bitcoin, as it was launched, was imperfect. Uh, And um, and almost everything else in Bitcoin isn't. Almost everything else in Bitcoin is really really beautiful. Uh, But this was the one final piece of the puzzle that we lacked. And Mimblewimble is a beautiful solution to it. Mm -hmm. A beautiful solution. To my mind, the first real solution. So, I guess my question would be, we've probably got, you may have knowledge of other projects, but we've probably got four or five Mimblewimble projects, give or take. There's some Tarry and New One, which I'm sure you've heard about. Beam, Grin, Epic Cash, and Mimblewimble Coin. Yep. Obviously, we think really highly of the protocol, but why do you think after, I believe it was published in July 2016, I think the white paper, why do you think that hasn't caught on yet six years later? What would be your opinion on that? Do you think just nobody's used it to its full advantage and um, capability? 
I think it's difficult to be heard in the crypto space. It's a very, very loud room with a lot of people in it. Sure. And, um, and the way that projects advance is by exciting the imagination of the investing public, right. often. Um, and uh, I don't think any of these projects has really cracked the nut on that. In a very competitive landscape where lots of people are doing things that capture other capture the imagination of investors. Um, and I think there's more to success than just, you know, blowing up your market cap. But blowing up your market cap does give you a bigger budget to <laughs> pursue the project and do all the other things. You know, it certainly doesn't hurt. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I think you often see this with fundamental innovations in technology where the, the innovation happens and the people who understand it believe it should, it really should have an impact. And then one day it does. And it's just a matter of when you reach that tipping point. And um, I don't claim to be any kind of special expert on the psychology of crowds or which projects are going to blow up in the, in the crypto space. Sure. And if I were, then I might have a different line of work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least temporarily. Um, I'm just an engineer. Uh, so my conviction comes, my conviction is not that Epic's going to moon tomorrow. I've, I have no idea. Uh, and famously don't care and yeah. <laughs> don't pay any attention yeah. to it. Um, my belief is just in the fundamental, is a belief that fundamentally Mimblewimble is the right solution to this problem and that it's probably the most important problem in the cryptocurrency space. Do you think since, since Bitcoin, would you argue? Since Bitcoin, yeah. Yeah. Because I've seen a lot about, and I'm sure we can probably get into this later, but I'm sure you've heard about all about the Ethereum merge, and people are saying, "Well, hmm. this is the best. This is the best thing that's happened since Bitcoin." But I think a lot of us in the community know that's just not true. Yeah, um, it seems completely insane to me. Uh, but that's just one minute. Yeah, yeah, we won't bash that. So, in terms of Mimblewimble again, because I know that. I would just love to keep touching upon it, just to pick yeah. your brain. Absolutely, go It just, it just kind of, it just kind of amazes me that, and again, referring back to it, we were looking on a Twitter Spaces podcast last week or two weeks ago, and we were comparing what we believe to be the other, perhaps the best privacy technology, and that was zk Snarks. Yeah. And we basically came to the conclusion between Izzy, Levy, and others on the podcast that. ZK Snarks was a good technology until Mimblewimble came along because ZK Snarks doesn't resolve the blockchain trilemma. It doesn't resolve decentralization, security, and scalability all at the same time. It just I, doesn't. I agree with both those points. I think ZK, ZK Snark was a very important advance. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was very good when it came out. And today I think it's completely obsolete. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the the... The superiority of Mimblewimble over ZK Snark to me is even simpler than the, the reasons you just gave. Mm -hmm. It's that the ZK Snark white paper is 120 pages long. Oof. It's really complicated. Uh -huh. And Mimblewimble can be explained in two or three pages. <laughs> the, the, and this is, this is a general engineering principle. Okay? 
If you have a choice between a complicated solution and a simple solution, you need very, very strong and clear motivation to choose the complicated option. Mm -hmm. Because the more complicated it is, the greater the possibility that you don't fully understand it. And that it's hiding failure modes that you can't see. And especially in a safety application, where what you're trying to do is not create functionality, but instead prevent failures. It's, a, it's the most important thing that you be able to fully understand what it does, and that you be able to have complete confidence that if I build my entire system on this, give me a rock on which to stand and I can move the world. Well, you better be sure it's a pretty good rock. <laughs> and, and you can explain Mimblewimble to a mathematically adept high schooler. You know, I mean, it takes, it takes a minute to understand elliptic curves and, and, and you know, the, the modular, but even then it's just modular arithmetic. It's not, it's not, it's not advanced calculus or anything, Yeah. right? It's, it's polynomial, and if you play around with it for 30 minutes, you can get a feel for how elliptic curves work. Sure. Um, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not the kind of thing that a person of normal intelligence with work can't understand. You don't need to spend a year studying it to understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and that, to me, is the reason why not only is, is Memble clearly superior to C.K. Starks, but I think it's got some legs. I think it's going to be around for a while because it's really going to take some work to improve on the simplicity of Memble When you find a really simple solution like that, usually they're pretty good ones, right? And... Um, uh, I mean, look, look at RSA. The you know we were discussing when yeah. when the RSA patent expired and how that changed everything in the cryptography space back in the nineteen nineties. RSA is just the observation that when you um, when you exponentiate large numbers, they're really hard to factor. Okay, you, it's you're going to be hard pressed to find a mathematical observation simpler than that one. <laughs> you know. And RSA to this day holds up mm-hmm. as a fundamental basis for public key cryptography. Um, now, uh, people do elliptic curve Diffie-Hellman, but, but even then, um, uh, RSA and Diffie-Hellman both, um, they still to this day, public key cryptography is premised on this, this very simple observation. You take two large numbers and you factor them, you, or, and you exponentiate them. You raise one to the power of the second, the first one to the power of the second one, right? Then then it's really hard to figure out what the factors are. Right. Um, uh, and absent a breakthrough like quantum computing that, that fundamentally changes our understanding of the computational cost of factoring, it's difficult to anticipate that situation changing because it just doesn't get much simpler than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why 40 years later, Diffie-Hellman is still a practical crypto system. <laughs> And, and Memble-Wemble feels like that because it's so simple, right? And is that to say that it couldn't be improved on? No, it, you could maybe improve on it, you know? And if someone did improve on it, we would take a close, close look at it and, and see what to do with it. Um, but it's pretty good. So you think even if any changes were made or any improvements were made to Memble-Wemble, that they would maybe just be slight tweaks because the genius in Memble-Wemble is the simplicity behind it? No, it, it wouldn't be a tweak. It would be a variant. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Like you know, if we if we change it around in this way, then it has this nicer property. So it's right. a new system, but very similar. Okay. 
Okay. Um, but there's there's not been any hint of that. Um, Instead, it's this beautiful breakthrough that people just aren't appreciating the importance of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said earlier, it still amazes me that only five, six projects are, <coughs> are building on top of Memberwimble. It amazes me. Um, but A few other projects are talking and working on potentially Okay, okay, I see. So... You've mentioned a few times on some streams that you've, you know, you've got a you've got a team behind you, and I think one or two times you've actually mentioned that you're the worst coder or member with mm. or something along those lines. Absolutely. But why don't you yeah. give me a little bit of a almost like a shout out of your team? You know, what what are they doing behind the scenes and how hard they're working and, and this and that. On the Epic yeah, I'm, I'm really just kind of the Kim Jong Il of <laughs> Epic development at this point. So when the, when we hold the parades, I stand on the balcony and wave. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the guys are down in the engine room actually doing it. Sure. Um, I mean, the be- to, to see what they're doing, we do the weekly tech, core tech newsletter, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's uh, that's everything that everything that we do we put in there, unless it's just utterly boring and administrative crap, right? Um, so you can see what what the guys are working on. Um, the 170 or 100 or 90x improvement in uh, node startup times. Oh, um, the CDN. 72 hours or 15 minutes. Or Sem- yeah, like. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, the uh, the CDN work. Uh, um, that was uh, that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and we're uh, we're st- uh, we we did the proof of concept on that. You can do it manually, and we're working on incorporating it into the wallet, which. Sadly, it's like ten times as much work as the, right, okay. <laughs> as the proof of concept. Um, but uh, but that's an example of something I think will have a huge practical benefit to users. Mm-hmm. Right, the ability to get your Epic node up and going in fifteen minutes instead of three days. That's incredible. You know? yeah, yeah, that would be. Incredible. Yeah, that's it's incredible. great. It's great. Uh, and it's funny. We we I I won't mention any names publicly, but we look at these other projects, looking at these massive reengineerings of their peer-to-peer protocols in order to eke out like a 15% advantage and whatnot. We're like... (laughs) (laughs) We have another suggestion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that one's nice. Um, uh, Quantum-resistant proof-of-work is another one. Yeah. Which, uh, again, we did a proof-of-concept for... And we're about halfway done with that implementation, so that one's uh, that one's really nice to see. Um, and there, all we're really trying to do is just get it working so that we can run it on testnet. We don't currently have any plans to run it on mainnet. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, but the philosophy there is, and this was part of the original intention with uh, with multi-algorithm proof of work, was we can code these things ahead of time, and then have them as break glass in case of emergency, right? It's already in the system, the code's already built, it's already tested, it's just a configuration change to turn these things live. So um, uh, that initial implementation, we just want to get it out. It's it's a reasonable first stab at it. Um, how to use quantum resistant encryption algorithms to perform proof of work functions is a question that, to my knowledge, the Epic Core Tech team are the only people who've ever even looked at. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, it's completely unexplored you don't territory. Think anybody else in the industry? I've not seen this. anyone else taking a look at this because it's all brand new, right? I mean, we've been looking at the the NIST working group for a year and a half, getting ready to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, I haven't seen anybody looking at using them for proof of work. 
Uh, so we just have a very simple first implementation there. Um, and we're gonna get that out. We're gonna get it working on FluNet. Mm -hmm. um, and and then if the quantum apocalypse does come, <laughs> break glass, you know, pull lever, and, and we have... And we, would it literally be a case of you just hit the button and off you go, pretty much? Yeah, I mean, we, we would need to arrange for everybody to change the proof of work policy in Epic, mm -hmm. right, to add the fourth algorithm. Sure. Um, but assuming quantum apocalypse, that consensus should be pretty easy to get. <laughs> And, um, and then we just changed the configuration, and, and 100 blocks later, Epic has the new policy in place. Wow. So, and, and, and th so, so that option will be there, and then we can go back and look at, you know, what are other projects doing, what kind of research is there, what, what other ideas do people have of how we take, you know, dilithium crystals is our particular algorithm. How do we take dilithium crystals and use it as a proof-of-work engine? Right. And we, over time, we can try to improve on it. Um, but just getting a very simple implementation out is something I'm, I'm very excited about doing. Um, uh, and also because it, 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 um, it validates that multi-protocol proof of work, um, you know, we built it for this reason, so that we could have these options and so that we can ensure the long-term survivability of Epic over the span of decades by having the flexibility to add new algorithms into it. Uh, and so I'm really looking forward to our actually doing that for the first time. Sure. Uh, I, I don't think it'll be the last time. There, there are other kinds of uh, proof-of-work algorithms that we're, that we're interested in potentially adding. Um, but, but quantum, to me, is a, is a pretty important one. <clears throat> I, I, don't th I don't think the quantum apocalypse is imminent, but I also don't think that it's not imminent. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen sometime. Well, well, it, I, it, maybe I mean, at some point in the next it, five, ten years, it, maybe? Uh, it might happen. I don't have a strong view on whether it will happen. I do have a strong view that if it does happen, I want Epic to be ready. Sure. <laughs> that's, yeah. my, that's my strong view. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and, and how bad the quantum apocalypse will be is also something that I think we don't understand well at this point. There's a lot of debate over how far practical quantum computing systems will be able to go and how long it will take us to get there. So um, I, I, I don't know. We'll see. There are a lot of really fundamental questions in computer science in there, um, and so there's a lot of possibility to be surprised. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so that's that's another example. We're doing a lot of work that no one's going to be excited about, other than me, probably. But, <laughs> um, but extending our automated testing, I think, is something really important that we're working on, and we're uh, we're using a system called Cucumber which allows us to write tests in a very natural language way. So okay. you tell Epic, you know, I start a node, I create a wallet A, I deposit 10 Epic into wallet A, I transfer 5 Epic to wallet B. That's sure. literally what the test reads You're literally like. coding it like that. That's how the test reads. Right, okay. Yeah, and yeah. then our implementation parses that and executes the actual things down in the wallet to run the test scenario. So I think that is interesting. That is yeah, very interesting. well, for a few reasons. Number one, it, it um, number one, it lowers the cost to create testing. Number two, it makes testing much more understandable to the community, so we can people can see and judge for themselves how well tested is this thing and, and what kinds of scenarios are they covered. Number three, it makes the test much more accessible for writing that not very technical people potentially could be contributing a lot of test scenarios into the system. Because um, you don't have to be very technical to, cut, to monkey see, monkey do if you 
which is a great way to get started as a developer. You know, I see 40 tests over here and it doesn't seem that hard. I'll try to write my own, just copying what I see over there and changing a few things and see what happens. That's potentially a very accessible way for people to come into the project and, and add significant value because we'd like to have thousands of these tests covering all different kinds of, of scenarios. And the community collectively has just much more mental bandwidth to think of interesting scenarios that we should be testing. So if we if we can get people, um, you know, excited about that and paying attention to it, there's the potential that the community could help a lot with making Epic more robust, coming up with interesting bug reports, and, and helping us keep the chain safe for years and years to come. Uh, and that's one reason why we're starting to. I, I don't know if it's this week or next week, but I think we're adding a section to the weekly report where every week we're going to be highlighting one of these and trying to showcase them and show them off. And again, that's that's not very sexy, you know. We're probably not going to get get tens of thousands of new users. <laughs> we have great automated testing or anything, but but it's one of those things that it adds to the survivability of the system. It makes it more reliable. It lowers our chances of an early death. You know, it, it, it lets us develop faster because we've got really good test coverage. Yeah. So those kinds of patient investments in those not very sexy things, they compound over time. And so we, we try to have a good balance of stuff that has a huge immediate impact versus stuff that has a, a strong long-term impact. Sure. Um, and that's that's some of the recent stuff we've been doing. Just one more on Member Wimble because yeah. there was something I heard on a, on a podcast again that we were discussing a few weeks ago. I understand that if it came to it, push came to shove, or push comes to shove, sorry, we could actually, you could actually switch out Mimble Wimble if, if a new revolutionary protocol came out that was even better than Mimble Wimble. I understand that the design of Epic Cash would allow us potentially so. to switch it out. No. Is that, is that incorrect? No, I don't okay. think so. Okay, okay. Um, now, we could potentially bridge Epic into a new system. Ah, okay, I see. Okay. But there, there, there is and can be no ability to swap Mimblewimble because both sides of the transaction are hidden behind mm -hmm. Mimblewimble. So how would you then take that and convert it to a non-Mimblewimble system? Uh, that's, that's the difficulty. Maybe there was some misinterpretation there, perhaps. Perhaps. Or someone's a better engineer than I have, and, and they have an idea that I don't. So, Is uh, he? Answer that, please. <laughs> <laughs> now, does that mean we couldn't execute that? No, we, uh, but we, we possibly could. Yeah, so, like, you know, you do a, you do a final deposit um, or in, in such a way that you can, un maybe with a trivial key, so that you can unveil and burn the coins. And then every coin burned in Epic creates a, a credit for the same number of coins in the new chain, which is Mimblewimble 2 right. or whatever. Or maybe you could bridge the algorithm depending on whether Mimblewimble, how compatible Mimblewimble 2 is with Mimblewimble mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but you'd have to engineer through that problem somehow. And sure. I, don't, I don't know if a particular proposal would do that. Okay. I, I think it would depend a lot on what Mimblewimble 2 was. Now, <clears throat> I know you prefer to not speak negatively about the projects, and I completely respect that. I'm, I'm similar to yourself. I would like to get your thoughts on the, and we mentioned earlier, the Ethereum merge. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not a deep expert. Mm -hmm. um, uh, 
I like the motivation behind proof of stake of, you know, the concern about the energy cost of proof of work. Sure. Certainly a valid concern. Um, but but replacing it with a, a hierarchical authority-driven system, to me, seems to kind of miss the point of what cryptocurrencies are supposed to be all about. <laughs> if we wanted a secretive cabal sitting in a basement making decisions about our monetary system... Don't we already have that in the Eccles building in Washington, D.C.? And on on Threadneedle Street, (laughs) you know? I mean, the... uh, And and the architecture on Threadneedle Street is much better than Ethereum's Zoom call, where they (laughs) (laughs) convene the cabal and and, and figure out what they're going to do. I just dislike authority for all the fundamental reasons that I thought we all had consensus on when Bitcoin came out. And so I don't understand the motivation to go backwards from that. Or rather, I I think it's misguided. So would you suggest that, I'm sure you've heard of the triple halvening and the, the, the deflationary asset that Ethereum could become based on demand. Would you say that that is outweighed by the centralization aspects, the potential censorship resistant aspects and things like that? Where it basically it leads to a lack of censorship resistance because of major right. validators like Binance, Coinbase, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, um, I try not to project my value systems onto other people. Sure. If you ask me as an engineer what the behavior of the system is, I can tell you. If you ask me which one is better or worse, all I can tell you is my personal opinion. Because. Uh, different people value different things. This is the first lesson in Boston economics is value is subjective, right? Um, some people really like censorship-friendly monetary systems, and with good reason. Um, there are some great reasons to want a monetary, to want a surveillance-friendly monetary system. Um, and for those people, I would be the last one to stop them from taking their property and doing whatever they like with it. Um, so, so to me, it's really about what, what problem are you trying to solve? And for the problem that I think Epic's trying to solve, I, I, I just don't think the latest Ethereum directions are very interesting. Um, they, they just don't seem to have much value. Sure. No, I can understand that. But, but again, if other people find them interesting because of their motivations, God be with them. How, they're, not, they're not hurting us. No, and absolutely. I yeah. want to make it clear that I'm not completely against it. Um, I mean, we said it on Saturday. We actually like the product of Ethereum and what it stands for. Oh, sure. Now, there are, there's other protocols as well that I think probably have the better tech. But in terms of... Man, Ethereum this, is just the ultimate example of the dog who caught the bus. Yeah. You know? just ama- and, and hats off to them for doing so. Mm-hmm. You know? What if we took Bitcoin and attached a Turing complete... <laughs> infinitely powerful programming environment to it and just see what happens <laughs> it's like, you know it, it took balls uh, yeah um, I, I just I just worry they've lost the plot a little bit on on what it was all about and, um, or, or it's not important to them mm-hmm. you know in which case fine Go do something else, and we'll be over here doing our thing. I doubt either of us will run out of ones or zeros anytime soon. (laughs) So, let me just put this to you. When I mentioned to you Epic Cash and Epicenter, 
what what springs to mind? What comes to mind? Um, Do you see the uh, I see. is is the is the vision of Epic Cash the most important thing to you in terms of providing the people, the worldwide society, uh, an alternative oh, yeah. means oh, yeah. of money? Oh, right, and right, right. So, um, my role in Epic is very simple. Mm-hmm. I'm Scotty. <laughs> okay, so like Kirk and Spock might beam down to the planet, bang some local alien chicks, or like fill the Starship Enterprise with tribbles, or whatever hilarious hijinks they're up to, okay? I just try to keep the dilithium crystals running, man. That's it. That's all I do. Okay. (laughs) That's all that I do, okay? So for me, it's just the core Epic blockchain. Mm -hmm. That's all that I try to help with, because that's a big enough job for me. Okay. Right. Um, uh, and just just try to make sure that we keep it safe and care and feed for it and, and try to advance it along as best we can. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and then when people ask my help with the other stuff, I'll get on the phone and you know give advice or 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 help where I can. Yeah. Um, but I I try to I try to stick to my knitting in terms of just trying to take care of the portion. No, I can understand that. Now, like you say, it is a <laughs> it is a fair amount to to manage, I would imagine. So you mentioned it earlier. You are epic cash community famous for not talking about the price. All right. So I'm not I'm not going to ask you anything to do with that. Oh, good. What I, what I will ask is, when we get to the epic cash singularity in 2028, right? Where do you see epic cash? Where, do, you, do you think it's going to be adopted in certain countries within that period of time? Do you think, do you think people are going to be using it as a you true story? You do know value? I'm an engineer, right? I've got to get, it, I've got to get this out of you, Todd. How the fuck would I know? <laughs> <laughs> I've, got to, I've Nostra, got to get this out of you. think I'm Nostra fucking dumb over here? No, like, like, seriously. You really don't think about this stuff, do you? Think about... What a future that I the future, yeah, yeah. It, I think about the parts of the future that I control and can influence. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Whether the central bank of Venezuela decides to like stop hyperinflating the boulevard and switch to Epic Cash is something that I have absolutely zero ability to control. So why would I spend time thinking about it? As mentioned earlier, if I want to spend time thinking and creating emotional investment in things I don't control, yeah, that's what Saturday afternoons watching sports are for. <laughs> and it's just as dumb there, but at least we have, but at least we all realize it's dumb to yeah. sit there on the couch and have emotional investment in the outcome of a game happening thousands of miles away with people you've never met. <laughs> What I do have control over is we just took Epic Cash's like startup time from three days to fifteen minutes. Yeah, right. Yeah, sure. That's something that we can do, and 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 so that's what I try. I I can tell you I think the tech's going to be better. I think tech's going to be more robust. I think we can make it faster. I think we can make it much more scalable. Um, I think there are interesting features that we can add, although some of them are going to be a lot of work. Um, but, but whether other people choose to adopt it or not is not something that I or anyone else controls. 
So the epic cash, we'll we'll uh, we'll keep dreaming about that part. Sure. And uh, we'll let you guys do the the tech stuff, yeah. And well, then it, you guys, you just develop a, a solid solid cryptocurrency, what we think to be the best. Well, and, 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 and my challenge would be, what are the particular things that we do have control over that will drive us in these directions? Sure. Because I think there are a lot of things the community could be doing. And is enough imagination being applied to figure out what those are? Do you have any suggestions? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I've had them over the years, but I'm tr- I have to update it in real time to see which, which ones of them still apply. <laughs> um, I think the multi-language uh, documentation is, is very interesting mm-hmm. um, and very useful. Uh, I do wish we had better system documentation. Um, I, uh, Sky King has talked about working yep. on working on that guide. I'm I'm really excited about that. I think that'd be very helpful. I I would encourage people to get in touch with them and see if they can help. Because uh, guides for for newbie users explaining what Epic is about and how to use it that's something that any ep- experienced Epic user can help with. Especially when there are a hundred Bitcoin guides. It's not like we even have to write it from a blank piece of paper. You can look at what the Bitcoin guys say and say, okay, with for Bitcoin question X, answer Y, there's Epic question X, what is Epic's answer Y? And usually it's pretty straightforward to think through how you explain the system in similar kinds of ways to the guys that are already out there. So I think that one's very practical. I'm really happy he's working on that. Um, uh, testing, I mentioned, is something that, that is not... You know, not the most important thing in the world, but but it's something where where people could help. Um, uh, uh, the um, the wallets. Uh, all we do is the core wallet, right? So the the command line interface wallet okay. and the API. Because um, our our vision really is to we, we need to have some kind of core wallet to make sure the system actually works. But beyond that, we want to support the GUI wallet developers and the mobile wallet developers. Um, we have we have no desire to compete with them in a business that they're much more expert at than we are. Yeah. So, um, but for all the all the GUI, GUI and mobile wallets out there, are we are we testing it as much as we could? Um, uh, feature requests, you know, and um, and curating the feature requests and running running polls on what the most exciting features could be and surveying other coins to see what cool features they have that we could be inspired by. This is something that, idea. that yeah, al- like almost that. Yeah. almost any you know enthusiast could do. You don't really need technical talent to read the manual and see what commands they have and like, oh that command would be really cool. Right? Um, uh, but but then at a at a higher level of abstraction, just asking that question and asking it regularly and asking it a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, is something that uh, I think. I mean, do you think we're doing everything that the community could be doing to? to I think to draw this, attention to Epic Cash. This isn't just for the podcast. I think we have a. <clears throat> I think we have a fantastic community. I really do. It's one of the strongest I've seen. If not, no, it, it is the strongest I've seen. Not the biggest, but I think it's the strongest. Right. You can always do more. So I'm not going to say that we're doing everything we can. Sure. Um, I really liked the idea. I, li- I liked all of the ideas. No, but, but, but I'm specifically asking about creativity. Mm-hmm. 
are we channeling the creativity of our people to get to the optimal list of activities? Or are we running the risk of wasting effort on things that aren't the optimal uses of time? That's a great question. A great question. In terms of, I would answer it from a marketing and podcast perspective because that's where I'm, that's where sure. I'm heading with this. I would say there could be more of Uncle V, me, and a few others. There could be more of, we got a new, I don't know if you've heard this, her name's Evie. She's doing a new Filipino podcast as well. So there's now three of us. Great. Why can't we, when, we, when can we get to five? When, we, when can we get to 10? Sure. Just so we can start promoting those. I really liked your idea of reviewing other projects yeah. and picking out the best parts of those. Well, and the thing I would encourage you guys to do is you don't even have to do it. You can be the catalyst for helping the community recognize that these things are possible. Sure. Um, and and how do we tap more of the more of the possibility in the community in order to, to make the project go? Sure. So I would like to finish up. You brought it up earlier, scalability. Right. Now, <clears throat> this is coming from my mouth, not yours. In a few years' time, when I see us getting more adoption, we will require more scalability. How, how do we get there? How do, oh, how man. do we, how do we this scale? This thing's so scalable. This thing's so scalable. Yeah. So uh, we can increase block sizes, we can reduce block times, we can, um, yeah, we've, we've not even started to okay. this thing. We've got a lot of headroom and the ability to make the chain grow. And Max mentions a figure of, um, I believe, per one shard, approximately 1.1 billion transactions per day. That's the figure he, uh, he's, he's given out a few times based on reducing the block size, sorry, increasing the block size and reducing the block times. And then we can increase the number of shards as well. Is that, is that, is that, is my understanding? Well, give or take uh, shard, sharding is a very incipient idea, right? Um, uh, sh sharding would come far, far in the future. Right, okay. Okay, sh sharding is a big deal. Um, uh, so I, I don't, uh, and I, I, uh, I would bet against it before I'd bet for it. Okay. Okay. Now it, it it's it's a technical option. It shouldn't be taken off the table. But I wouldn't I wouldn't assume that we're going to short the system. Right. Okay. Um, I I don't know that we'll need to. Uh, we can get these numbers pretty high. Okay. Uh, especially as um, as bandwidth and storage continue to grow much faster than we do, right? The the he the headroom is is really increasing. Um, so yeah, yeah. Cool. I, I don't I don't anticipate any any bottleneck. By the by the time we have those kinds of bottlenecks, we'll be in a great position to deal with them. <laughs> that sounds good. Okay. Okay. Well, we're coming up to around the hour point, so. A big thank you to you for welcoming me here because it's, uh, well... Well, thank you for flying to South America <laughs> to stage the podcast with me. I mean, yeah? this is a great continent. I love it. But you mentioned earlier Brazil. I mean, what a place. What yeah. a place. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. There are worse places to there, That's exactly what I just said to my wife. Yeah. There's worse places to be than in Florida. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, thank you for your time. I know you're busy, so... Yeah, yeah it's, and, a, it's um, a pleasure, man. Next time you fly through this continent, <laughs> <laughs> we should do it again. And we need to get you on a Twitter Spaces podcast at some point. If you're, we yeah, can. you're going to have to give me more than like 25 minutes notice next time. <laughs> fair <laughs> point. Yeah. Fair point. What about this Saturday coming? Uh, uh, 
we're in the football season, so I have to see when my team is playing. Satur- oh, okay. Saturdays in the uh, in the north northern hemisphere autumn are uh, uh, are one of my my special periods. Okay. So, um, I would ask you on here who your team is, but I can ask you after. That's it's okay. fine. All right. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Todd. Yeah. Thanks, man.